0: Uh, There is, of course, it started in the days of Ahab, then Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoahaz, mentioned here at the beginning of chapter 13, and then the present king of Israel that comes to visit him, he is called Joash. These are all kings of Israel in the northern kingdom. And so Elisha had to prophesy to the worst of the kings— To the apostate kings, and he remained faithful all through that time. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a privilege and a joy to bring the Lord's Word again today. And we're looking at the subject of half-hearted service. Oh boy, we're going to hit the knuckle today because there are so many, I fear, in the Lord's Church who but serve the Lord either haphazardly or half-heartedly. And there is a lack of zeal a lack of determination to serve the Lord. Many other things take priority. Many other things creep in to take the place of worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus. So let me appeal to you today to stay tuned with us as we come to this subject. We'll be looking at Second Kings thirteen, where Elisha's told the servant to strike the ground many times with the arrows and failure to do that left them in a compromising situation. So stay tuned for that message. At the close of the program, we'll be dealing with the subject of abortion. We're having a little segment on righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And in our land, every day, there are multitudes of infants that are butchered cruelly in their mother's wombs, torn from the place of protection that the agenda of men might be served, but it's not the agenda of God. And so please stay tuned as we come to that today at the close of our message on Second Kings chapter 13. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, Uh, Be sure to take down the details of our website, phone number, and send us an email of how the Lord has ministered to your heart through our broadcast here at Let the Bible Speak. That's our burden, to let God's Word speak to your heart on the airwaves wherever you may be today. So thank you for joining in. May the Lord bless you through His Word give you great grace in your own soul, as we bring the Lord's Word today. In the verse 14, we read these words, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. Last Sunday morning, I spoke about doctors and indeed preachers who die. And I mentioned standing at the graveside of Jonathan Edwards' Uh, at Princeton Cemetery in New Jersey, and that is still there today. In fact, you can Google it. Uh, I wanted to just check the location of that. It's kind of foggy in my mind. I visited a good number of years ago. Uh, But you can Google uh, the grave site of Jonathan Edwards, and it will show you uh, the exact graveyard. Now, this evening, we come to the death, the deathbed scene of the prophet Elisha. Now, he was not taken up as Elijah was by a chariot of fire, but he was left to face the slow ravages of death. And it's seeming strange that the one who was used by God to raise the dead, he himself is now to walk through the valley of death. He had been a prophet at this time for about 60 years. There are about five kings that he spanned during his ministry. Uh, there is of course it started in the days of Ahab, then Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoahaz, mentioned here at the beginning of chapter 13 and then the present king of Israel that comes to visit him, he is called. Joash. These are all kings of Israel in the northern kingdom. And so Elisha had to prophesy to the worst of the kings, to the apostate kings, and he remained faithful all through that time. Now, this present king, Jehoash, in verse 16, we're told that he reigned 16 years. And it says there in verse 11, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 12 that I hope will clear some of the confusion about his name. Because in verse 12, his name, Jehoash, is changed to Joash. And when you have another king, the king of Judah, who was reigning at the very same time simultaneously. His name was Joash, the king of Judah. Well, you'll understand my wisdom in the words saying to moms, be careful how you name your children because you might add to the confusion. It'd be like having two Donalds in the White House or two Justins in, in uh, Ottawa. And so it only adds to the confusion. And you have to work through these things as you read about these various kings. Now, however, though being the king of Israel and the one who did evil in the sight of the Lord, this Joash had some good in him, which we see when he visited Elisha in his sickness unto death. And in verse 14, we learn of him here coming and visiting Elisha the prophet, And he draws very close to him. He weeps right over his face, and he cries out, O my father, my father. And I think that you will see in all of that the respect and the dignity that he uh, gave him, and all of that was certainly very good. And then in that verse also, he declared his fear for the future, the future when Elisha is gone because Elisha very much was a protector to the nation. He was God's spokesman. And in times of trouble, he was a great blessing to the nation. Now, it's a very legitimate fear, because if you look at verse 20—now, I'm jumping away ahead here—but if you look at verse 20, it says, "'And Elisha died, and they buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded.'" And it's a very similar situation to the death of Samuel. The Philistines did not invade during the life of Samuel, but as soon as he died, they did. And here with Elisha, while he was alive, those Moabites did not invade. But the time he died, then they started to invade the land. And you can see that God's man, this prophet of God, was indeed Uh, the one who put a hedge of protection about the nation and about God's people. Now, back to verse 14. You will see here that before his death, Elisha had a big demonstration to make uh, for the king of Israel, Joash. And Elisha asked him to get a bow, a bow that would shoot arrows. And Joash was asked to open the windows to the east, which was the direction of Aphek, which would be the future battle scene against the Syrians. And this was now a token demonstration that Elisha was doing. He said, open the windows, take your bow, and shoot. And so he shot his arrow. And when he did that, Elisha put his frail, elderly hands around the hands of the king of Israel, Joash, in demonstration that there was supernatural control. And then he shot the arrow. Then he said to him, Take the arrows and strike the ground. And he was to take the bunch of arrows in his hand. And you'll read of this here in verse 18. Take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed just three times. And it seems that he did it very feebly. And at that, Elisha was incensed, and he stirred up in his wrath, and he said, Thou should have smitten five or six times, and then you would have totally destroyed the Syrians. But now they will remain a problem to you. And so there was this token demonstration of God's power. And Elisha saw this as a feeble, half-hearted attempt to go through this drama that would bring down the Syrians. And we see the result of it there in verse 19. Whereas now, thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Now, this incident, which ends up in such disappointment, raises an issue that we all face in the Lord's church. People who serve the Lord haphazardly or half-heartedly. And I think that we can say of the church at large that It's filled with professing believers who are but half-hearted in their worship and service for God. So many seem to live defeated lives. They're moral for God, but there's no fight in them for God. I want to speak tonight on this problem of half-hearted service. I want to use this incident of Joash feebly smiting three times with those arrows, when he could have done it with all his might and done it repeatedly, and the outcome would have meant so much to the future of the nation. We tonight are called to serve the Lord with all our hearts, not half-heartedly. And if we worship God and serve him with all our hearts— then we will know his power and his blessing. And so, if you're in the box of half-hearted service, I want to get you out of that box. I want us each one to be serving the Lord wholeheartedly and trusting him for all the power and all the blessing that he promises to his church and his people. So, the first thing I want to say here tonight this is really just a very major statement. There is no reason for half-hearted service. Now, I can say this full of confidence from the history that we have here of God's dealings with Joash. That's Joash, the king of Israel. This demonstration with bows and arrows and Elisha's hands wrapped around, Uh, the king's hands as he shoots the bow, and talk about defeating Syria. The one thing it shows us here, that there is a great future, that God is not done with the nation, even though they had sinned and even though they had grieved God over and over. God still had a purpose of power and blessing. Now, I pick that up in verse 17, because in the middle of the verse it says, The Arrow of the Lord's Deliverance. The Arrow of the Lord's Deliverance. Make a great motto, and it is an assurance of God's power at work in the future. And no doubt this would be a great tonic to faith. This ought to stir anyone up. Yeah, let's serve the Lord because he is going to give us the victory. And we learn, too, of course, that the Christian life is a conflict. It is a series of battles to serve the Lord and to oppose his enemies and those who become our enemies. Then the Christian life is constantly a battle. And when you became a Christian, you signed up to become a soldier. You signed up to put on the uniform and to fight the battle of faith. And we could preach on Ephesians 6, the Christian armor, and talks about the wiles of the devil. Put on, therefore, the whole armor of God, and we are to stand. And therefore, there is no excuse— For half hearted service. And so we learn from this that there is a future, even though it will be a battle, and even though the enemies are great, there is a future for the people of God. There is a passage where the Apostle Paul counsels Timothy. Timothy, we know, was a little bit timid, he needed to be encouraged not to fear man. And Paul said to him in the first epistle, chapter 118, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Now, in spite of your own natural timidity and in spite of your own youthfulness, be thou an example of the believers. Don't serve half-heartedly. And he went on, in the second epistle, and he said in 2 Timothy 1 8, Be thou therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of his afflictions, of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, none of us like to willfully. And deliberately walk into conflict. We are called to peace. We are called to humility, but there are times we have to put on the whole armor, and to stand, and to fight the good fight of faith, and to seek the power of our God. So there is no excuse for half-hearted service. The other flip side of that is that constantly, continually in the Bible, the Lord calls His people to wholehearted service. And of course, the, the great commandment we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then think of the many admonitions which the Lord gave to his disciples. He said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What a warning. What an exhortation. Another verse, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be My disciple. And of course, he goes on in many, many such ways. But I want to move on tonight to this issue things that will make us half hearted. As I look at Joash, as I look at this king of Israel, why was he so feeble? Why did he smite but a few times? when he could have been enthusiastic, vigorous, and by the token of this demonstration, future routed the Syrians. Why? Well, a checkered history of service will make us half-hearted. Let's go back to verse 11 in this passage, and we see this king of Israel. Now, in verse 10, he's called Jehoash. In verse 11, we read of him, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. A man's ways and lack of zeal for the Lord is not the thing of one day. It's the course of a life, And this Joash was a dabbler. He allowed himself to give play to the ways of evil and the ways of sin. And this was in keeping with his character. We're told here in verse 11 that he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And you can't have it two ways. You can't be red hot for God. You can't be a man or woman of zeal for the Lord and yet constantly give play to the ways of evil and of sin. And so, Joash was typical of a person who was but playing at religion, playing at serving God. He did not come clean cut for God. And therefore, it's no wonder that when he took those arrows in his hand, he but feebly smote the ground just a few times. If he had, well, what a great victory there would have been, and what a defeat of the Syrians there would have been. And so, this really homes in on us tonight. Where is our wholehearted service? Where is the earnest praying? the earnest seeking God's glory, if we are serving half-heartedly, we will be defeated. We will have very little of the blessing and the power of God. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and we come now to a little feature on righteousness exalted the nation. Today we want to deal with abortion. In the Canadian courts, there was a recent case of a mother who gave birth but concealed the newborn child. The consequences of the ruling are unclear. The trial judge was especially bothered that he could not identify the moment of the gestational spectrum when a fetus becomes the body of a child for the purpose of this law against concealing. Tried under the law that bans concealing the body of a child with intent to conceal its birth, regardless of whether it died before, during, or after birth, she was acquitted because the crown had no evidence about when the baby girl actually died. A judge struck out the possibility of a child that died before birth, leaving the Crown unable to prove that she died during or after. Indeed, forensics could only determine the baby was at or near full term. In April 2006, when a building superintendent discovered it, wrapped in towels in a garbage bag on the balcony of a Mississauga, Ontario apartment, vacated by someone close by. This only goes to show the terrible mess our legislators are in regarding abortion. Some will argue that a fetus is not a human in the womb at all, or not until the second or third trimester of gestation. That is, until a mother who wants her baby to live is injured by an assailant, or is in a car accident and the insurance company is sued for the loss of the child. There are cases where a hospital has been sued for malpractice leading to the loss of a child's life while in the womb. Drug companies can also be sued for malpractice for not warning of harm to pregnant mothers and their unborn children. The whole legal issue is a mess, for it is morally bankrupt in its approach. The Bible. It is very clear that life begins at conception. In the Psalm 139:14, we read, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth it right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members are written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now, this statement, uh, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, is somewhat obscure, but the idea in this expression clearly is, before I had shape or form, Thou didst see what I was to be. The single word in the original translated, My substance being on perfect, it occurs only in this place, though the verb galam is found in Second Kings 8, where it is used in reference to the mantle of Elijah. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together. That is, he rolled it up or he folded it. The noun then means that which is rolled or wrapped together that which is folded up, and hence it is applicable where all the members of the body as yet are undeveloped, that is, before they have assumed their distinct form and proportions. This is undoubtedly the idea here. Before the embryo had any such form that its future size, shape, or proportions could be marked by the eye of man, it was clearly and distinctly known by God. And in thy book, where thou recordest all things. Perhaps the allusion here would be to the book of an architect or a draftsman, who before his work is begun draws his plan or sketches it for the direction of the workmen. Oh, that the judges of our land would take heed to what the Bible says concerning the commencement of life in the womb at the point of conception or fertilization. That's the critical point where life begins, and it solves the issues. And I trust that today that you will take heed that life is sacred. Life begins at conception, and we are each created in the image of God. And therefore, to take that life is indeed an horrendous crime. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 187- 9058 Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on One Eighty Eight Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. here on the station as we Let the Bible Speak.